Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Let's uh, pray and let's get going. So you have this you, epiphany is this season of kind of enjoyment. It's a little bit of a lull because the Lord, you know, sort of squares everything up. Christmas comes and then, you know, these, these gifts just kind of wash over us. And you have this little bit of a lull before uh, Lent comes and then, you know, and then across the common time, ordinary time, or the Pentecost season in summer. Um, this first half of the church here tells us about Jesus, and the second half tells us about how we live in the image of Jesus. So we're, but we're, there, are, there are periods of rest and there are periods of action. In some sense, Epiphany is this period of rest where you start to get an idea about what Jesus is doing. It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. It's not just, you know, it's not just esoteric ideas. He's actually healing people and feeding people. He's putting the church together. It's a very interesting time of the year. So um, it's sort of a happy rest, but you gather yourself for the next thing. So we'll pray and then, then we'll go. Men will come from east and west, from north and south, and sit at the table of the kingdom of God. Luke 13, that's a way of saying everybody's in, nobody's out. East, west, north, south. It didn't say he will come just to the people in the promised land. It says he comes to everybody. And Epiphany, of course, is about the Gentiles. That's why the Magi come. They're clearly not Jews. That's why you're in. You're clearly not Jews, at least not most of you, some of you, but not all of you. Um, east, west, north, south. And to sit at the table is the great gift. If you're at the table, you're a, a, a son of the Father. You're a, a part of the family. Okay, So you get all the benefits. Almighty God and Father, who called the Gentiles to enter the fellowship of your Son and wills that all be saved, we beg you now that the voice of your word goes to every land, that the gospel is proclaimed to every creature, and that every nation comes to thank and serve you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to give you this, Mr. Kovic. I'm horrible at doing that. Be careful that Sharpie doesn't come out. When you're doing the wash this week, if you get that on your pants, your wife's not going to be happy. We can give money to CareNet. They need diapers. They need wipes, right? Yeah. Throw some money in the bag uh, for CareNet. That would be fantastic. All right. Um, because St. John is never without a party or a party being planned, <laughs> Carnival, okay? So now you remember, you remember how this works, uh, Shrove Tuesday. Uh, usually Shrove Tuesday, you, you, know, you eat up all the things that you don't eat during Lent, sugar, milk, uh, butter. In fact, somebody has already asked me, are we having pancakes? To the committee people, you probably disappoint people if there's not some sort of pancake available to, uh, uh, to donuts, really? I don't know. See, that's the problem. You, you, you always want to innovate. The, the baby Jesus said pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. No, no, we got to have donuts. Next you're going to want sugar donuts, aren't you? Yeah, there you are. Okay. So, um, we didn't think you would come on Tuesday and then come back again on Ash Wednesday. So the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, Transfiguration Carnival, which is, you know, more of an international version of Mardi Gras, which is an expanded version of Shrove Tuesday. Always bigger, better, stronger, right? So um, come to dinner, have some fun, you know, uh, drinks and hors d'oeuvres at 5 and dinner at 6. Um, just have, have some fun. Now, just to be completely clear, last, last year we talked about uh, a lot about prayer and fasting. This year we're going to talk about money. We haven't talked about money for a little while. Kind of interesting things happen in the congregation with money. We're getting way younger. In a sense, that means we're getting way poorer. Because uh, you young people get busy and pay my Social Security, okay? Let's, let's, get, let's get a move on here, okay? Uh, that number keeps going up and it's making me sad. Try not to think that your number will be zero. Don't think about that. Money is bad. Give me your money. Repeat after me. Your money is bad. Okay, so um, 
We should, but the thing is, is you know, a lot of hands, light work, all of that. Um, so what we need to do, and we have a range of people who have sort of never, even though we've, you know, we haven't done a money thing for three years or four years, but we have a range of people who are new and haven't kind of been through it. The good thing about St. John, as you know, is you know we don't get all you know all nervous. Nobody gets a sweaty brow talking about money. Um, but this is a chance to kind of review where you are, try to do a little bit better, try a new thing, um, think things through. I'm going to make a special pitch to you, if I can remember, for electronic giving. People responded that to that very well. Our electronic giving has gone up from like 20-ish percent to 30 percent now. It's very, very helpful for us. It saves time. Uh, it's more steady, and so we can estimate cash flow a little bit better. And it really takes a lot of the paperwork out of the way for us. So um, if you're not doing electronic giving, go to the website. It's like two clicks. Um, and we promise to be more, more careful with your information than Target. Hey, come on. Okay. Or at least as careful. That's what I should say. I don't want to make, you know, if it gets stolen, we'll say we're sorry. Okay, so there you go. Right. So uh, anyway, come on the second. One of the good things about doing this now, you know, when we first talked about money, I mean, I can remember the first sermon I gave about money, you know, a zillion years ago where somebody said, I've been here, I've been here 30 years and nobody's ever talked about it, which I thought was really odd. Especially because Jesus, the only thing Jesus talks about more than money is prayer, I think, in the Gospels. So it's like number two on the hit parade for Jesus because he knows that it's uh, a difficult thing for most people. The cool thing about St. John's is it's not that difficult a thing. We're not talking about trying to do it. We're trying to talk about really getting good at it and everybody sharing in it. So, um, and we need to do that because our demographics are shifting. As we get younger, you know, as we get younger, people, younger people don't have as much money. The other thing is some very successful, one of the strains in the last year or two, has been um, some very big givers for one reason or another have either retired, moved away, you know, all of a sudden they're off in Phoenix joining another church. I mean, we do excommunicate them and send them nasty letters, but it doesn't seem to help. So, uh, you know, we have to adjust to the fact that, um, you know, we had an older demographic that never really learned to give. The middle demographic who was really strong givers are now starting to retire, and of course they, that means they're to be diminished. As we get younger, they don't make as much, but we need to kind of move people into that early so that you know, in 10 or 20 years, when everything plays out, uh, you know, kind of if everybody sticks around, it becomes quite a remarkable thing. So you know, those are the sort of things we talk about. It won't be a finger-wagging thing. In fact, you'll notice there's drinks with the hors d'oeuvres. We're softening you up. So uh, <laughs> you think I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, they're like, can you put drinks in hors d'oeuvres? I'm like, well, will there be drinks? They're like, yeah, well, then put drinks in hors d'oeuvres. I said, if you just put gathering, none of you will show up. If we put drinks in hors d'oeuvres, you'll all be there right at 5. So, all right. Makes sense? Mark your calendars. Um, it's just something we all do together. Every once in a while, you've got to just you know, take a look at things and see what's happening. All right, questions about anything? Where we've been, where we're going? Otherwise, uh, pull, up a, pull up an outline and I'll see, you know, my personal goal to stay close to the outline. Who knows whether such a thing can happen. Did I forget anything else? Have I forgotten anything? No? Everybody's good? Okay, so we move down the list, but kind of remember where we've been. Um, Christ gives you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit gives you energy in the form of faith, hope, and love. So it's really not correct for you to say, you know, you know, I just don't have the juice to love somebody, or I just don't have, I just can't, you know, I just can't believe, it's not really, I just can't, I just can't believe that. Actually, the Holy Spirit is there kind of working in you all the time, and every Christian has these things. 
And, you know, the, the verse does go, so, you know, faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. If you ask most Lutherans, um, and, I, you know, I probably should even, you know, turn off the recorder for this. If you ask most Lutherans to choose between faith and love, they would choose, yeah, faith, because then that goes to doctrine, which turns into a club, and you can beat people over the head with that, which is, of course, the way the church should work, right? We have doctrine and you don't. We're in, you're out. See you later. Um, the text says... Faith, hope, and love abide these three. The greatest is love. So the church should be marked at the end of the day by love. It is the only thing that will carry on. Faith will not carry on because in heaven everybody will believe. Hope will be unnecessary because all things are given to you in fulfillment. And the only thing left is the divine love. And that's partly why we try to mark the community here. You hear a lot about this, which you may not have heard growing up, but I think it's a a fundamental error at least not to bring divine love to the same level of divine faith. Yes, it is true that God tells us all kinds of things. Christ comes today in the gospel and reveals himself. He lives a particular life and in his actions he shows us what it is to be a Christian. But his actions are marked purely by love, especially loving the unlovable, which as you know, Heidelberg Disputation, Martin Luther, God doesn't love the lovable. He looks around the room and he loves the unlovable. I mean, it was that way for Luther, and my, and my great protest against Lutherans is they'd never read any Luther, you know. I mean, Luther was huge on this. So, you know, I just put it out for you. Um, we want a place that's characterized by divine love. The Holy Spirit um, gives us, Christ gives us his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. But the gifts always swirl back uh, around Christ. So Christ is given into us. Christ is put on us at our baptism. You receive the body and blood of Christ. You receive Christ himself. We pray, body, blood, soul, divinity. You receive the full Christ. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. You know, this paradox of he's in us, and he's outside us, and we're him, and he's us, and you're the body of Christ. So the Holy Spirit gives us Christ. Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings his gifts, faith, hope, and love. Christ brings his gifts, and these are described in Isaiah. There shall come forth a root, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse, you remember, is the, you know, that's the kingly house. It looks as if things have gone bad, but there's a shoot that comes. A branch from his root shall bear fruit, you know, always flourishing. Fruit is hopeful. Fruit, fruit gives a future. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Okay, so the Spirit will rest, so, you know, he comes down. You heard that in the Gospel last week. John the baptizer said, I testify that I saw the Spirit come down on him. The week before, Jesus looks up. He sees the Spirit coming down on him. So in some way, Jesus, when he's baptized, it's his ordination. He's pulled aside, and he's given a Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that strengthens him for the task at hand. So we heard two weeks ago that that happened to Jesus, or three weeks now. We heard about that at the baptism of Jesus. Then we heard John the baptizer say, I saw it too. That fulfills what Isaiah said. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. <sighs> happens at his baptism. Right? The heavens opened, and he sees the Spirit. And the Spirit brings gifts. Gift-giving is the way of God. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear, and delight. So we've done uh, the first two. I'm turning the page. Delight is this humility that springs from gratitude. So you're thankful that the Lord shows up and loves you. Uh, we're thankful for being created. And if you want humility, 
You don't aim at humility. You remember all the gifts that have been given, right? That softens your heart. When you re remember that you're nothing but given to, right? That you live only from the hand of God. And this is where the great Lutheran stuff rings in, that God does everything and he does it to you, that he forgives more sins than you've got, that his single intent is to save you, that in every action he means to bless you and not to curse you, divine love. When you, when you realize that, that God, you've been created, loved, blessed, forgiven, saved, gathered, and used well, um, that actually humbles you. Uh, when you. You know, some people, I mean, some people have to get cancer before they get humble. You know, some people have to have a death in the family. Some people have to lose a job. You know, I, I'm fairly convinced that the Lord does or allows the minimum amount to humble you. But some people, you know, and we all have our different things. If you look back at your life, at the troubles you've had, very often the troubles that you have, uh, the Lord doesn't will evil on you, but he can use it in this way. First and foremost, that it humbles you. And it, you realize that you're not self-sufficient. This is the great Lutheran thing. You're not self-sufficient. You know, necros, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We can't do any good by ourselves. We can't survive by ourselves. So your troubles humble you. The trick, of course, of the Christian life is, one trick of the Christian life is, if you could please stay humble when things go well for you. So, I mean, just take the carnival thing, right? So we have a very nice space, and we have, you know, sufficient for our needs, you know, we have black ink. There's a couple things we can do. We can get really lazy and not think about that anymore. And then the Lord will need to humble us again. We'll have great pain and then everybody will snap to attention. And then this is often how Lutherans do it. You, you have to give toward something, right? You have to give toward a budget. You have to give toward a project. That is nowhere in the scriptures as normal giving. It is later when there's, for example, a famine and you take a special collection beyond your normal. That is not the normal way the church does business, the way God does business. And this is true in all other ways of your life. So you know, my plea to you is try to remain humble in the good times so the Lord won't have to humble you. Because you know? you're not any good to him when you're proud. You're just not, you're just, you become useless to God when you're proud because you're not pliable. You're not interested in other people. You, know, you don't care about the greater good of the world. You're blind to the homeless and to the poor. Okay? So, I mean, this is really why, you know, pride is the greatest sin, because you become, you know, you're on the way to being useless. And the church is filled with that. And, of course, the, the devil's great temptation. The surest way to damn a man is to leave him alone. Right? And so, so many churches shrivel up and die because they're just sort of left alone. The devil doesn't have to do any work. We do it for him in our pridefulness. So, stay humble is the point. How do you stay humble? By remembering the gifts that you've been given. When you remember the gifts, you're grateful. I, the Lord your God, will take you out of Egypt, will take you through the river, will you know, we'll give you a great prophet, will bring you to the prophet land, promised land, will give you manna you know, in the morning, will give you quail at night, will give you a pillar of fire to guide you by night and a cloud by day. I'll meet you in the tabernacle. I will give, 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 give because you're dead without me. Why focus on that? Let's focus on the carnival. Let's have some fun. Do you see this? And if you want to translate that into law and gospel, it goes very easily. It's more fun to live in the forgiveness than in the judgment. So, you know, partly, part of the reason this is fun is we get to actually do it from a good 
you know, from, we're, we're, we're at a good place. We get to do it from a good place as opposed to from an emergency place or a beaten down place or a painful place. It's really good. So, you know, cling to, the, cling to that. And that's why you come every week. We say every week, the reason we start with I'm a poor, miserable sinner, so we remember we can't do it ourselves so that we, keep, we stay humble, okay? So the last thing, delight protects us from pride. And then fear, which is not a good English word, but it actually means godliness. You know, we live in this godliness, um, which just means, I mean, godliness just means you do what Jesus does and say what Jesus says. Then you just look at Jesus and you say, well, that's, that'd be the right thing to do here. Um, and that's not easy to do. Uh, I'll give you an example. For, uh, it's always weird to get this kind of an email. So the vicar writes me an email and says, so there was just a guy who came in and said he's demon-possessed, and he asked me to pray with him. Like, really, I'm hearing about this by email. <laughs> so, I mean, now, I mean, now this, is a great, this is a great example of a real-life thing. So, the, you know, the, the guy comes in, and he says he's demon-possessed, and he wants this, and he wants that. And this is not uncommon. We've had this. This happens four or five times a year. Somebody comes in and says they're demon-possessed. But it's really interesting that they always have a tick list of things they want or requirements, or there's always this push and pull back and forth of, Somehow you're mixed up and you're in a spiritual place. And then, so he was clever enough to get a hold of Pastor Nelson and they sort of worked with the guy. And interestingly, they didn't give him what he wanted, but they gave him what he needed. So that was good. Um, you know, usually people come up with a list of demands. They're going to self-medicate and they're going to use us. So can you do this for me and how about that and try this? And, you know, if you actually are demonized, depressed in some way, the last thing you want to do is medicate yourself. Like, if you have cancer, the last thing you want to do is minister your own chemotherapy. Nobody does that. Nobody takes out their own appendix. Um, but it's, it's just interesting to, to, to hear that, you know. So what you, the, in real life, I mean, what they have to do is try to figure out what Jesus would do with this guy. And Jesus never gave people what they wanted. He gave them what they needed, right? And then maybe he gave them what they wanted. But in the first analysis, he gives them what they need. So you're... You know, this is not just about saying, oh, I'll, I'll live a godly life. This is about being aware to the world and trying to figure out how you're going to act. That's what godliness is. Jesus, aware to the world, the text for today, he comes to the land, he comes to the scripture, he comes to the people, he comes to the Gentile, he comes to the apostles, he comes to everything, he comes to the darkness, and all those things get fixed. He's aware to the world, and he changes the world. That's what you're meant to do, too. Those are all in the first two gifts. Opposite that is the lust that we luxuriate ourselves. We will never take a hit for, you know, for Jesus. You know, we only think about what helps us go. Well, now the next one. Um, so I gave you, that was my little riff on, but how? How do I use piety and humility to go forward? What do I love? What do I fear? What does God want? Okay, number three. That is answered by the gift of knowledge. So here's the thing. It's, it's very good for me to say to you, and it's important, Jesus says to us, that we're meant to live in divine love, which is just another way of saying we should live a godly life. But how that plays out in real time is going to be defined by a couple of things, knowledge now and wisdom later. So knowledge is the lay of the land, and wisdom is the application. So knowledge is you have a plan, Wisdom is you work the plan in the best possible way, okay? But first today, knowledge. So what happens, and I'm going to go to the end first because I didn't put enough of this in here. I realized later I was a little crimped for time, so I didn't get as many things as I wanted to. But um, part of the reason you come to Bible study, uh, so Kleinig, when Kleinig was here, I'm not just, you know, these are all, I have a lot of 
you know, two-minute conversations when, because we don't get, I mean, we get time, but there's just so much going on all the time. And among these things he said is, you know, he said, St. John will never fail as long as you have the morning Eucharist. Well, he said he was there. He said, St. John will never fail as long as you have that. You know, you know, 40 people at morning Eucharist. A similar thing was said about Bible study because, you know, you turn out in massive numbers in Bible study. It's not just this Sunday, but, you know, there's kids downstairs and there's joy group and there's women and there's men and, you know. So there are things you do, you can do in the gospel to preserve yourself. And one of them is to study the scripture, study, study, study. It's no secret that I think, um, you know, I put a high priority on teaching. The reason I do that is because when I was young, nobody could answer any of my questions about the church. I never wanted to be a pastor. This is a cruel joke, you know. Uh, I'm waiting for the next thing, uh, you know. I went to seminary, not even in the MDiv program. I went in the master's program because I wanted to take a year off and read before I did the other things I wanted to do. Um, but here's the thing, and that's partly why I put a premium on being able to give you answers that are five words or less. Because if you don't know, you cannot execute. If you don't know, I mean, you may be clever enough to see that there's hate in the world, that there are poor people in the world, there are hungry people in the world. You know, just this morning I'm driving over and they give the statistic, which a couple of people have challenged, but I'd like to see the data that 16 million people in America go, hung, go to bed hungry every night. That's, you know, if that's even half true, that's quite a remarkable number. And a large percentage of those are children. You know, I mean, whatever you think about whomever politically, children should not go to bed hungry in America. Jesus doesn't want children to go to bed hungry in America. You shouldn't want that either, okay? But how you do that, how you can see the lay of the land and not be duped, and then how you can affect it, knowledge and wisdom, and we'll come to wisdom another day. How you can do that is terribly important, and Jesus, frankly, gives that to you as the church and expects that from you as the church. I mean, so many people think um, Bible study is optional in the church. The scriptures understand, you know, the psalms and prayers morning and evening every day. You know, you just, you can't, you can't get away from the notion that, that the scriptures are meant to impart knowledge. You know, that Christ is knowledge, in a sense. Christ gives you the lay of the land. There's no way you can get around that. I mean, Christians who don't come to Bible study, it's just like, you know, it's like putting yourself on a bread and water diet. Yeah, you can survive and you can even smile once in a while, but you are not what you are meant to be in faith, hope, and love for the good of Christ and your neighbor. You're just not. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know uh, God bless you because, you know, the average percentage for people in any church, you know, in America, you're considered a successful church if a third of your people, if a third of your active membership comes to church on a Sunday morning. That's a, like, of our active membership, probably, I don't know, our, our number has got to be like 50 or 60 or 70%. That's good. Now, the next thing is, is that active number has to get to you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of people in Bible study in some way, shape, or form because this is how Jesus has chosen to impart knowledge. He chooses to impart it through the scriptures. You know, Christ gives you the scriptures, the scriptures give you Christ. Not just in his words, but also in his deeds. So this very simple definition of being Christian is seeing as Jesus sees, saying as Jesus says, doing as Jesus does, or just another way of saying that is agreeing with him in all aspects of your life. 
You have no idea what that is naturally. I have no idea what that is. And the more you know, in some ways, the harder it is because the responsibility is greater. So here it is. The gift that you get as a Christian, you know, one that you get is this notion of knowledge. Now you'll notice, you'll see that it has a range of meanings. And one of the interesting things about that word, as I was goofing around with it this week, is you notice that there's a sequence there. So it's knowledge, you know, kind of sensory, you know. It means knowledge, but what does that mean? It means kind of perception, so you kind of, you know, you see, you hear, you touch. But then the next thing is very interesting. Discernment. Discerno, this in, in the Latin, which in, in the easiest sense, it means you can tell the difference between this and that. This is coffee. This is hot chocolate. Okay? This is holy. This is unholy. This is productive. This is unproductive. This is what a Christian does. This is what a Christian does not do. That's what discernment means. It's like when, when in, it's in 1 Corinthians where you say you discern, the, you can't come to the Holy Supper without discernment. What does that mean? It means you need to see the difference between this is the Lord's Supper and this is supper at your mother's house. One is the body and blood of Christ. The other is not the body and blood of Christ. That's the basic thing. One forgives your sins and makes you part of a community. It saves you, life and salvation. The other is a really good time, but they're not the same. So it's not just enough to see, but the discernment. And we saw that, you remember, you know, four times ago, the Spirit's verb was the sorting verb. You remember way back, this is like the first or second week, where one of the verbs that the Spirit does, He puts things side by side. He puts the gifts side by side, and He compares them, and He sorts them, and He delivers them to different people. Okay, that's discernment. Part of it is in a church. This is why you have elders. This is why you have pastors. This is why you have wise old men and women. They look at a person and they say, you know, you'd be really good at this, but you wouldn't be good at that, so you should do this, right? So, you know, I'm Steve Chester. I mean, I just, he had, he's probably not here because he's out plowing. Here's the thing about Steve Chester. I mean, you, you should all kiss him on the lips when you see him. <laughs> because, you know, I came, I don't know when it was, somewhat after 7. Everything's plowed already and salted after 7. Now, what you need to know about Steve is he does it for free because that's his deal. Every once in a while, somebody will say t about Steve, we should put him on the governing board. We should put him in a committee. We should. Like, if you do that to him, he will shrivel up and die. Okay? Because <laughs> in the governing board, there's no room for him to back his truck up and then push the snow and raise the plow up and, you know. So it's the discernment of seeing where people fit. Right? You know, or you, know, you're sore, you put things side by side and you see them. So you perceive them, you discern, and you understand how the world works. Now, just let me say, you're only to the point of having a good plan at the knowledge point. You know, this is, without wisdom, this is ivory tower stuff. You can see the world. There are all kinds of people who would, as I have a friend who likes to say, he says, um, communism only works on college campuses. But I think it's a genius <laughs> statement, okay? <laughs> It's a great theory, but it only works on college campuses where somebody else is paying the bill, right? And you can, you, ah, you know, because that's, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it sums up so many things. Communism only works on college campuses. Yeah, because there are these, you know, it, everything looks great, but if it had to live by itself, okay. So, um, in one word, you get that whole perception, you get perception, you get discernment, you get understanding. This is seeing how all the world lines up. Now, what could possibly go wrong? Point four. 
darkness. And you have to see darkness as one of the critical categories in the scriptures. So when it says that this, the first day I was ever in Europe, and the first thing I ever saw in Europe of significance was the cathedral in Bruges. It was All Saints Day, and I walked in. It was dark. This was a cathedral that took 300 years to build, which means your great, 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 probably given, probably great grandfather put the bottom stone in, and your father put the roof on. So it took 300 years to build this cathedral. And I remember the first thing I saw when I walked in, a little, it was All Saints Day, and there was a little candle flickering under a little thing, and it said it in French, and it was far more beautiful in French than it is in English. Well, the thing that I saw was in French, Gunter, but I will go back to Bruges with you. <laughs> I, they, speak, they speak Flemish, I, underst I, under, I, under, I know it's low, but the card I saw was in French, and it said, you know, I, I'm not, if I wasn't so weak, I'd come over there and kiss you on the lips right now, Gunter. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Now, you think, what you should think about Gunter is you, you should think every pastor needs a Gunter. That's what you should think to yourself. Because Gunter is a great guy. And I'm, I'm so thankful he watches The Vicar on Thursday mornings, too, by the way. There's a little card that said, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. Right? So it was this, this, this gloriously large but dark, cold cathedral. And just in the corner, this little, this little sign, the people, who, and lit, lit by a candle for All Saints Day. The people who've seen, who, who sit in darkness have seen a great light, right? So darkness is the enemy of all that you want to do. It's partly why they, that, that's quoted about Jesus. Jesus is the light personified. You know, he moves in across, not just, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles today. People who see it, sit in darkness have seen a great light. Um, you can think then at point four how we start each week. What we basically do each week is we kneel down and we say, I've touched darkness, I've been in darkness, I've lived in darkness, I chose darkness, I am darkness some weeks. That's what we say. When we say we're by nature sinful and unclean, we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we've done and left undone, that actually is darkness. And I give you the text, which I always give you in catechumenate, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Please try to take that there's no more darkness than dead, okay? Dar dead is the ultimate darkness, right? So you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. You formerly walked in darkness according to this world. So the world is dark. Um, you were dark. The world is dark according to the prince of the power. So this is a reference to the evil one, right? The prince of the power of the air, right? The spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. So in some way, you have this choice between being a son of light or a son of darkness, a son of obedience or a son of disobedience. You should never fool yourself by thinking that your disobedience is irrelevant. In many places in Scripture, there are binary choices. I, I, I understand that, they, that, that you know, there's struggle and there's progression and all that, but sometimes there are just choices between light and darkness, disobedience and, and, and obedience, sin and holiness. You know, there is struggle in all of that, but sometimes it's important just to signify and name things, to simplify and name things what they are. And then this, among them, we too formerly lived, there it is, in the lusts of our flesh, right? In the luxury of doing what's best for me and not, what's, not what Christ bids for, for the church and for my neighbor, included indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And there it is. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of humanity, right? So you know this. Is, this is basic small catechism stuff. It's very interesting. 
you know, sometimes the, the catechism gets a bad <laughs> rap. It gets a bad rap when it's uninterpreted. But really the notion that it is the devil, the world, and your sinful flesh, you know, it's all just there. I mean, the, this... If you can think about the devil as being jealous of you, it would help you. Um, if you can think about the devil as having had great, great status, which then led to a great, great fall. And now, in some sense, if you think about it as a family, and you belong to the same family, your little brother to the angels, if you can think about this in some sense as the evil one being jealous of you, um, it might help you. And uh, if you won't be a co-conspirator, if you won't play along, then you have to be an enemy. You know, in a war, somebody has to die. You know, somebody, somebody has to die. So you'll either be, you know, you'll either be a co-conspirator or you'll be an enemy. Those are your two choices. And so I give you just a list of these that are so easy to come to mind. So the evil one comes and says, did God really say that? Did you eat of that? And then, you know, he promises light, interestingly. Or the same temptation that Matthew 4 to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, you know, did God really, this is, this is the temptation to shortcuts and to stay away from the cross. Did God really say that if you follow this through, oh, there's really an easier way to do this? Or, and it's so interesting, I was reading kind of different translations of this this week. John 8:44. I think it was the New American Standard, but I'm not quite sure. This is so interesting, the translation. Satan is the father of lies, and the way it was translated is, and lying is his native language. So, uh, so here's the thing, you know, lying is his native language. I mean, when you think about somebody's native language, you know, the, uh, people who speak a different language, isn't, isn't it interesting to think of lying as a native language? So, you know, you know, this famous comment, everything she wrote was a lie right down to the, you know, right down to the commas and the periods, you know, one woman writer about another. But lying is native language. Um, and we, you know, you know, we're just as lost if we follow along. You know, one of the great lessons I've learned over the years is that sin believes its own lies. You can tell, and sometimes it's frighteningly so, sometimes when people are lying and you know they're lying, and they're so earnest about it that they don't know they're lying, that is a deeply demonic thing, that sin believes its own lies. So lying is his native language, and he really, really believes what he says. It's a remarkable thing, right? That's to be utterly dark, to be totally consumed, is to believe the lie you're telling. That is, you know, that is a hopeless situation that can only be redeemed by God himself. That's not a struggle. That's hopelessness. That is death and darkness, okay? So, I mean, partly what you need to see about yourself is you don't know the way out and you don't know the way home. Um, you just you just don't know, and I use know there intentionally. You just don't know. So what the Lord does among the gifts that come to us is not just seeing, but understanding how all the dots are connected. You know, you're going to still need wisdom and application later, but first to see all the dots. How the, it's it's a map, you know. It's it's how the world works. Flip to five. Um, you see the counteraction of this in John 1. You know, in the beginning was the Word, in Him was life, and then this great thing. 
and life was the light of men. You know, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness doesn't overcome it. That's the first good thing. So you're on the side of the winner. The true light that enlightens every man. There it is. So this is why light and knowledge go together. Goethe's last words, it is said, I should check. Goethe's last words, more light. But, you know, it's fun to have people have last words that they didn't say, but they fit. So there you go. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And there it is, full of grace and truth. And we've beheld his glory, which is the light of holiness from heaven. So light comes from heaven to earth, or holiness comes from heaven to earth. That's what glory means, actually. Technically, that's what glory means, and that's usually why glory is a word in the scriptures reserved for God, because it has to do with divine holiness, divine light. So what happens then is, um, you know, light comes to us, and darkness, and you should, I mean, you will need an example. Go home in a dark room today and turn on the light and watch what happens. You can't quite explain what happens, but it disappears. You know, and that then should encourage you. We got to go, but this is what you should be encouraged by the darkness that you face in your own life. Knowledge does not mean necessarily that things are, can all that everything can be explained, and quite honestly, it would be good for Lutherans to embrace a bit more mystery in their own lives. It was a word in some ways that I was forbidden to use at seminary, but um, I think that it's probably a helpful word in so many ways, particularly because it translates well to a postmodern culture. You know, the mistake that we often make with our knowledge is that we get to the end of it. I just encourage you to learn as much as you can and then, you know, to know how much you don't know. To leave a little room for mystery. I was with, uh, I gave a lecture down at Wheaton College. I was on a panel in the graduate school at Wheaton College this week. And one of the guys, um, I w who was an, another guy who was on the panel, said, I could be more sympathetic to Lutheranism, but I can't, uh, but they try to explain too much. And you know what? In some sense, that's true. Uh, you know, the Orthodox don't really have a doctrine of the Eucharist because in the East, the doctrine was never challenged. When a doctrine isn't challenged, it's written about and mused about, but it doesn't come to, def to being defined. Opposite that, almost every Catholic I've read or known about in the last 100 or 200 years has done headstands trying to get away from transubstantiation because it's not a particularly helpful way to describe what happens in the Eucharist. But when you put it in a council, it's very difficult to retreat. It's very difficult for the Catholic Church to retreat. It'd be nice if Lutherans could find a middle ground there where they knew a lot but um, left some room for mystery. So I just sort of give you that. The point is, there's a lot to learn and then always more. And, you know, you'll thrive. I get, I'm just going to end by saying this. I've said this to you a thousand times since I've been here. You create your own reality in the church. There's a guarantee that the church will exist on earth. But there's no guarantee that a particular denomination, the Missouri Synod, or a particular congregation, St. John on the corner of, there is no guarantee that a denomination or a particular congregation will exist. There will be a church. The only way that you exist is if you tend the gifts that you've been given. You know, so Kleinig is very perceptive when he says, as long as you have that, this congregation will always survive. As long as we have this, this congregation will always survive. When you don't have this, you know, when you don't have this, you're tenuous at best.
Okay? So it's terribly, terribly important to learn. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a thing to be embraced. And if you don't embrace it, you live in your own darkness. And at the end of the day, then your own, your own darkness is your own demise. So, I mean, you can, you can hear that in the way of the law. You can hear that as your pastor shaking his finger at you, saying you all need to go to Bible study. But I, I don't, I'm not interested in that. What I'm really interested in, you, I want you to hear this in the way of the gospel. You've been baptized. You've been given gifts. You have this huge, you know, you've got a Lamborghini in the, dri in the driveway. Get it out and get it into sixth gear, okay? Drive really fast, but don't drink first and don't be Justin Bieber. That's okay. <laughs> Love you. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so very much. See you next week. Do mark your calendar for Carnival. It should be great. See ya.